This is Mission Disco. This is Mission Disco. This is Mission Disco. A conversation about imagination, innovation, and Christian mission in Ireland and beyond. You're very welcome to another episode of Mission Disco podcast. It's great to have you join us, all six of you, or how many there are of you around the world. Um, I'm joined again by Ross. The two of us are going to have a conversation. And uh, we're just joking a little bit about there because our guest today uh, will make it feel like an old episode. <laughs> Uh, not because of his age, but because he was here from the beginning. We have Brian Sanders. Good hey. to have you, Brian. Blast from the past. Welcome Indeed. back, Brian. It's probably it? nearly a year since we had you on the last one, or since you hosted your own last one. So, welcome this is back. what happens when you leave somewhere. People say they're going to be your friend. They say they're going to call. They say <laughs> they're going to talk. But no, you never hear from them. Doesn't even happen. <laughs> <laughs> we have oh, to get you back funny. on the podcast to see you again brian that's that's, that's the <laughs> level of our friendship for these days <laughs> so it's good to have you brian brian's joining us all the way from um florida so good to have you on i know clocks Thanks, changed for you last weekend and for us the weekend before so it was all a bit confusing trying to make sure we got the right time but it's good to be back um we thought we'd have uh, a chat today about um, working and hybrid working and co-working and what it means uh, to work nowadays. I know, Brian, when we first recorded uh, the podcast back at the start of the pandemic, we did it on Zoom. We hadn't done it on Zoom before, and we've done everyone since on Zoom. So lots of things have changed um, in the past few years. So we thought we'd have a conversation about that, um, our own experiences, things we're hearing, and maybe things we're looking into the future for, and just think a little bit about that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, as I look at the screen here on zoom, I'm still at home. Uh, Ross is in the office, although I don't think you're there every day, Ross and Brian is in his office. And I imagine you're there most of the time. How's working looking like for you now, I suppose, maybe we just start there. Where are you at? Where are you working? Are you at home all the time? Yeah. What do you, and Ross, aren't, I mean, do you, do you do the same thing that you allow your employees to do? What, how do you have it set up with your company? Yeah, so personally, I, I try and be in the office three times a week, roughly, two days at home. Um, and we've 18 staff here. Uh, some of their jobs, they can't work from home, so they don't have that option. But most of our office staff, they have, um, we had to implement a kind of remote working policy. So uh, staff can work up to three days a week from home. And um, it's interesting, the people who have gone for that and the people who haven't gone for that. And it probably depends on their, you know, level of work in terms of do they need to really concentrate focus or do they need to interact a lot with other other people? So it's an interesting dynamic and brings up lots of positive things for the for the culture of the company, but also some challenges that we have to have to face. So that's kind of where we are learning as we go. How about you, Brian? What what's what are you doing? Yeah, you know, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm because I'm working for two different organizations now, two different entities. It, they're sort of approaching it in slightly different ways. Um, but I'd say, uh, you know, maybe partly my my assignments I have a lot of liberty, a lot of freedom to to choose. So, what's interesting is is to think about the the sort of WFA work from anywhere. Um, movement or idea and and actually what it doesn't mean you know it doesn't mean for example you never go to the office so so if you have an office that's an option 
And in other words, what we're really talking about is flexibility. What we're really talking about is what's changed is not so much that you can't go to an office or that you have to go to an office, but that you actually have the, the choice, right? So like with you, Ross, you're saying three days a week, you know, you can, we want you in the office in two days, maybe you're not. But if they wanted to come in more than that, that'd be fine, right? I assume. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, that, it's I, I suppose it's that flexibility. I read an article recently about the future of work, and it was talking about the the term they were using was radical flexibility. That actually, what what is driving the workforce right now, and and why people are quitting in record numbers their jobs, uh, is because there's not enough flexibility. So it's not it's not it's not that that we're shaping or designing the jobs in a certain way, and then saying, "Do you like this, or is this what you want?" But it's actually just giving people autonomy, license, you know, to choose when and where they come in. But I'd say it's important to, to have the choice, which means you have to have both options still available, right? You have to be able to work from a coffee shop or your home office, but you also still need that centralized co-located environment that you've created. So it's a, it's a tricky world because it's not, I don't, I don't know of hardly any businesses that are going towards total, uh, you know, remote work environments. Um, there's a couple I've, I've heard about, read about that are moving towards that. But even those those companies are like 80% remote workforce or something like that. You still have to have maybe some people in an office somewhere. It's an interesting one when you think about the flexibility because two years ago, if you had said to me, work from home, and I have, I'm probably doing two days a week from home, I would never have chosen it because I just wouldn't have thought I would have being able to manage it and concentrate and focus. I think it's different now that I have a bit of a, a setup and, you know, you have a space to use, but it's an interesting one. I think the pandemic in the last 20 months has opened our eyes to why we want flexibility. You know, things like, you know, the thoughts of sitting in traffic for, for all morning or going to the same place, even though you don't necessarily need to be there. It is interesting how the idea of flexibility has just opened our eyes or the pandemic has opened our eyes to the need for flexibility or the desire for flexibility and and people i i wonder how much of of people's desire for the flexibility is a better work-life balance uh uh family life whatever it might be i don't know what your what your thoughts on that are well yeah what's really interesting about it is one of the things that surprises me actually um is that productivity uh so I've read a number of studies on this, and it seems that productivity goes up when we're able to work from home. So that's kind of confusing because you think, you know, your bed's right there, your refrigerator's right there, your family's right there, your kids are running in and out. Like, how could that be a more productive environment than an environment completely designed for your work, you know, and surrounded by your colleagues who are thinking, presumably always working on this one mission. And yet I, 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 the lowest uh productivity increase was like 4% study I saw. I've seen 13. I've seen as high as 19% increase in productivity for people that are allowed to work from home. So I think that's really fascinating, but it made me think of there uh, several years ago before the pandemic, there was a really, a really um, insightful book called Deep Work by a guy called Cal Newport. Um, and in it, he was he was kind of making the argument like what's wrong with the modern work environment is that we can't get any focused work done. 
you know, that we're, we're constantly being distracted by each other, uh, or by, or by just the sort of the, the dynamics of the ecosystem of the, the office environments that we've created and that to actually get focused time, of course, a lot of it is digital, right? It's just, it's notifications popping up and, um, you just can't get five straight minutes or 20 straight minutes or, or, or in some cases we need hours like the look to luxuriate in two or three hours to focus on one one you know piece you need to write or one problem you really need to solve or something like that and there, there was just this almost an epidemic of, of 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 a lack of focus and a lack of that deep work space and time for that kind of deep work and i wonder if part of what the the work from anywhere work from home um shift here has what, what we've essentially discovered or stumbled into is is that that possibility of deep work again that no one's walking in well besides maybe your kids or something uh but your you know your colleagues aren't walking in with questions constantly peppering you you know um and and so it is just interesting to me to think that home or or that these kind of new environments are actually potentially more productive now again we're just talking about knowledge workers right we're, we're not talking about you know servers and restaurants or you know industrialists or people that have to you know work in retail or something like that this is this is a certain kind of work that can be done from home but of course increasingly the the knowledge economy is growing so a lot more people are working in these kind of ideas the they can work from home. So it's it's opened us up. And I think I think a part of what the the, the experiment that the pandemic has been is is a, that companies are realizing, wow, we can save a lot of money actually if we don't have to have a big office space, big office plan. Uh, but also again, then it's a surprise to me, I don't know if it would be to you guys that and actually our our employees are potentially more productive. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one, the, the working from home, because I think I have found that it is quieter. And although when you're in work, having those questions and those interactions with work colleagues are really good, they can be a distraction. You can be led on to something else. So the deep work is harder. Ross, when you were, um, I know for you in work, you've been thinking a little bit about um, people working from home some days, but then having a time, because there are negatives to that independent working. And although people are getting deep work done, there's something about the culture. There's something about the the relationships that that's missed. So how do you counteract that? How do we deal with that? Yeah, I think it's really it brings up how you know as as leaders of organisations we are curating, we are fostering a culture, aren't we? And so um, it's harder. I found it harder to do that when not everyone is here at the same time or we may not see people for a while because then you get annual leave thrown into that during the summer and suddenly you could have weeks before people are connecting. So we've we've kind of said Mondays is the day that everyone's in. So, um, and, and I think what we found helpful is to help people think about the work that they do is gonna be different when they're in the office compared to when they're at home. So we say, when you're in, in the office, you're gonna be thinking about who do I need to connect with today? What team meetings do I need to set up? What do I need to collaborate with? So we kind of talk about collaboration when you're in the office and focused work when you're at home. 
and kind of having that mind shift a little bit that you're working in different patterns, I suppose, when you're in, in the office and not. So I think shaping culture is much easier when, you know, you have a senior management team in on a Monday and you have space and time to hear from everybody how they're getting on, what are the challenges they're facing and how can each other help? I think one of the things we found in the pandemic when everyone was working from home, communication was just, it was so slow and it, you know, to go over and ask someone at their own desk a simple question, you had to set up a Zoom call or have a phone call, and it was just really challenging. And so what there was like a real sense of relief when people could come back into the office, even the people who really enjoyed working from home. Um, there was a sense of connection. I, I think that's the other thing that this whole thing brings up as well. What do people want from work? And that whole identity piece is really important. They want a place to belong to. They want connection with other people. We are we are built to work together, and so I think having having time together is so important. And it's it's a different type of productivity, I would say. Um, I think I think the collaboration that happens when a group of people comes together and supports each other is what's needed, as well as the focus time. It's so it's, it's it's tricky, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, Ross, that you nearly have different days for different types of working. So you have the deep focus work when people are working from home, but then on the Monday, you're not going to get any of that work done. It is the collaborative. It is the work together, brainstorm together. And actually it's, it's nearly a divided up thing, which is quite good. That seems to work. Yeah, well. I, it, it is helpful because like before we kind of put that or named that you go home really frustrated on a Monday because I got nothing done. But yeah. we had to rename and said, no, you did. You, you connected with a lot of people. We caught up with people. We, we heard how they're, you know, how they're, how they're, how they're finding their work and things like that. So it's just a different way of thinking about it. Uh, but I think culture is really important. I think how we create an environment where people belong. I think this whole thing has brought up where do we get meaning from our work as well? What does, what gives us purpose? Um, and I think it's created loads of jobs, like the whole gig economy where people can work freelance from anywhere in the world <laughs> has been another trend in this whole thing. So, yeah. yeah, so there's lots of things that have happened and, you know, the pandemic has accelerated all these trends hugely, hasn't it? Well, I, I, I just affirm what you're saying, Ross. I, I read a series of articles in the Harvard Business Review and, you know, it, essentially they, they've identified three, these sort of three big desires that are emerging in this kind of new work economy. One is shared purpose, which you, you just brought up. The other is radical flexibility. And the final is deeper connection. So in other words, what do people want from their work environments? And how has that somehow changed? And that we've already talked about the radical flexibility. I mean, people will quit jobs now if they, if they cannot determine where they work, how much they work, <laughs> you know, uh, and what they work on so that that's yeah. so there there's a lot of leverage now in in for the employee in terms of those that that level of flexibility but they also want to be working on something that they feels meaningful and have a deep deep sense of like you know corporate responsibility and and you know that we're we're our companies we work for are good actors in the world and so on but then to me, what feels like a paradox is they also want deeper connections. So I want to be able to work from wherever I 
want, but I also want to really feel connected to my colleagues and I want to feel connected to the purpose that we share. And I also want to feel this sense of like, we're in this together. So man, th this just creates a real conundrum for employers, you know, um, how do we do that? And, and, and these, these hybrid, like you're talking about Ross, what you've set up is a hybrid. I'd say that's probably the norm now or becoming the norm is these hybrid environments where we're trying, I don't think perfectly, by the way, but we're trying to find some kind of equilibrium between allowing people to have places of deep connection to see each other. You know, the downside of radically flexible environments or work from anywhere environments is communication, brainstorming, problem solving, you know, collaboration, knowledge sharing, mentoring, things like that. Like if it, there's, there's like a lead and lag impact here. You know, we go towards remote working. It's fine for a while. There's, there's a, maybe even a productivity spike for a time. But I think what we'll see in, in six months to a year to, to 18 months to two years, we'll start seeing you know, something isn't quite right with the company. You know, people don't trust each other. People don't know what's going on. As you know, a lot of times systems and knowledge in a company or in any organization, a church, a nonprofit, anything is kind of, you know, held in trust in reservoirs in certain people's heads, <laughs> you know, and the, the only way to get to it is to go talk to them. Like, how do we do that? Or where do, where do we put that? Or what, what vendor did we use for that before or whatever? It's just, it's in someone's brain. So when you pull people apart into remote working, like like the point you just made, Ross, you have to make a meeting, you know, to try to get on their calendar for, to just get what would have been in a co-located environment, what would have been like, I just popped my head in. Now, again, that interrupts the person <laughs> from whatever they're trying to focus on, but there's this knowledge sharing potential, which I, I think we will begin to see and then something like a, the downside of that, but then something like mentoring, you know, over the long term, you know, the, the more I'm around you, Ross, or the more that some, some, you know, first year staff is around me or something like that, we learn from each other. We, we, we learn the business, you know, we learn, we learn how, how to, how to talk, how to engage, how to, how to do whatever it is that, that, that we do. And I also think there's going to be a, unintended consequences from that, you know, uh, from, from the longer we, if we just pulled into remote working and the longer we do that, the more we'll see the degradation, not just of culture, like you're saying values and those kind of things, but actually transferring yeah. skills and knowledge to, I think when we, people, you know? when you look back at the last 20 months or 22 months or so, there's been a huge change, obviously in working and how working has happened. And before that, you would have looked that people would have been in the office at a certain time. People would have been clocked in at a certain time and clocked out at a certain time. And I wonder going forward, although, you know, Ross, you talk about there having the Mondays, that Mondays your team meetings and the rest of the days, you know, you've up to three days to work from home. I wonder is the, is the question that we need keep considering is always looking at revisioning and always looking at how we, how we adapt and change. It's very easy for us to get into a, well, this is what we do. And in three years time, we're still doing this rather than continually looking at, well, look, what are the opportunities here? Where's the deep work happening? Is it still happening at home? How is the mentoring happening? Do we need to bring people in more often? There's, there's a huge amount of um, advantages of, of the, the flexibility on people's well-being, but everyone has different 
different needs. Some people need to be around people a lot. Some people need to be alone more. Um, and I, I, I think the question going forward for business and for, uh, for churches, as we, as we think is, is being flexible and always being flexible and, and looking at what we're doing and, and questioning that. And the church isn't greatest at that. We do one thing and we just stick with it the whole time. I think it's interesting when when you name those pillars of, you know, what employees are demanding or looking for, you could really kind of layer those on top of where the church needs to be at as well in terms of deeper connection. I think that was one of them you said, Brian, a sense of meaningful purpose of what we're involved in. You know, so my small amount of work contributes to the bigger story that we're building, that sense of you know, we're all in this together and radical flexibility. And yes, you're right, Simon, the church hasn't been known for that sense, but I think we've been forced to having to adapt and change and do things differently that we wouldn't have done before. And I think that's been challenging, but very healthy in terms of what we're trying to do. And I think ultimately, you know, we're all, we're all, so the humanness of our, um, of our desires, of our wants has really come out, hasn't it, during the pandemic, because a lot of things have been exposed. So, um, you know, both from an employer, but also as a church leader, I see so many overlaps between both of those things in terms of creating spaces and um, organizations that are about belonging, about, you know, feeling like you matter and feeling that you've been seen and that you're part of something. Um, not just stuck in a silo somewhere else and we dial in once or twice you know a week to see how you're doing and that sense of shared purpose I think is really important and storytelling you know we're all part of this story this narrative of whether you're part of an organization or the kingdom of God in terms of seeing that part and I think that's really interesting point Simon that you made. I, I, w- I would probably also add the the idea of empathy you know like designing work systems that seem to take into consideration where people are at. You know, it's the the Mm -hmm. mental health kind of crisis, uh, which has been referred to as the second pandemic, you know, um, happening parallel with the the coronavirus is just people, you know, high rates of anxiety, suicidal ideation, you know, self-harm, these kind of this the secondary crisis and 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 in turn being empathetic has i think actually become another non-negotiable for the for the modern workforce is to say you, you know can can this place which which i come to work you know it's transactional but i come to work here can this place does it care at all about me about my well-being um and even if you just think of them as a worker, you think, well, I want this person to be healthy, that they'll do better work if they're healthy. But of course, as as the people of Jesus, we we would be driven by actually just selfless love for the person, for, for the wellness, the well-being, the mental health of the person. And so when you know we've talked before about design thinking so when you design a system you begin with empathy you begin by saying what is it that the where are the pain points for this person what is it that they need how can i design this system so that it produces this for this user this end user whatever and when you think about work as a system for the employee for the people that 
that work within it. I think that's a really interesting idea. And there's there's this sort of corresponding possibility of what um, what you could call what has been called defensive design. Or actually, in in our cities, you'll see these little. It's also called hostile architecture, where you actually design something, you 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 architect something to to um, defend against something in particular. So, for example, uh, benches that have arm armrests in the middle of those benches. You know, that's that's defensive design. That's hostile architecture. It's meant to keep people from sleeping on those benches. You know, it's it's saying. We're gonna we're gonna design these benches in such a way that you can't sleep on them. Uh, the, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if, I don't remember seeing these in Ireland, but here on benches sometimes they'll put these little balls, these little knobs to keep skateboarders from grinding the bench, or you put it along something because skateboarders will come and they'll they'll ride their trucks, you know, along the grind along the thing. So they put little little metal balls to just stop. It's just there to keep skateboarders from doing it. In fact, near my house, this, this is hilarious, they, and they like you guys need to come visit, by the way, but uh, there's a 7-Eleven near my house, and it's because it's in kind of a, a poor neighborhood, a rougher neighborhood, the kids just like to loiter outside there. It's a gas station and then a 7-Eleven, and so these people, whoever owns a 7-Eleven, they have these two loudspeakers out front, and I am not exaggerating. I wish I could, I wish I would have taken a recording, but they have these loudspeakers and they play like on blast, super high decibel levels, opera music, like Italian opera. And it's, it's disconcerting. It's like you go to pump gas, you're just like, what is happening right now? Because it just doesn't fit at all. And it keeps the kids and, and just, you know, sort of transient people from Staying there. If you don't want to stand outside and just listen to this, I mean, I guess in this, unless you're the rare twelve-year-old uh, uh, that just loves Italian opera, uh, you're just you're not going to want to stick around. And that's hostile architecture. That's defensive design. And the truth is, a lot of the way that we have designed, we current if we keep going with the way we have our work and our businesses and our office spaces and our churches. If we keep going the way we have them currently designed, they're becoming hostile architecture. They're becoming defensive design against, you know, people's wellness. And again, maybe that's there's not intentionality to make an environment that is unhealthy or unpsychologically safe or something like that. And yet, at some point, we have to admit that that's what we have here. You know, that's what we're working out of so so change there's more to change than just like hey let's keep up with the times or something like that it is it is to do with love it is to do with with ross your point about seeing people as human beings um and and actually wanting to create an environment for them a system for them where they thrive where they flourish and i think it like ultimately comes down to trust doesn't it you know when you know traditional employers wouldn't have let employees work from home because they wouldn't have trusted that they would have got the work done but you know as you're empathetic as you are seeing seeing these these team members as people that can contribute there um that trust naturally is there and um i think if we can create environments where it allows people to flourish in 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 their humanness and in their contribution to um the organization i think i think is really key in this isn't it 
No, you're right. Because the truth is in the, in the work environments where I'm at now and where I've been, there are certain employees which are allowed to kind of come and go as they please. And there are certain ones that aren't. And the ones that aren't, it, it totally comes down to trust. So what you're essentially communicating is, I don't think you'll do the job unless you're under my watch, under my eye. And at some point, I mean, maybe that's appropriate early on or something, but at some point we will have to, to hire good people or believe in the people that we hire. You know, I think of, I think of some companies like they're, they're really radical expressions of this, like, like Netflix, for example, um, they, they, they have an unlimited vacation policy. So you can take, I mean, you can take six months off. It's not a problem. Uh, now at the same time, they hire very high quality people. They pay very, very well and they expect a lot. So if you can get it done and take two months off, okay, they have no problem with that. They also have an unlimited expense policy. So if you are out and you work, you work for Netflix and you see some really great film that's for sale and you want to spend, you know, a million euro to buy that film. Um, you can't. You don't need anyone's approval. You can just make that expense. So that's radical trust. I mean, that's high, high level trust of your employees. But it's also because they've they've created a culture and they expect people to do what's best for Netflix. In fact, that's the only question you're meant to ask as you go to make the expense. Like, is this good for Netflix? Is this best for Netflix? not not I want first class seats, but is this best for Netflix? Uh, and it does come down to that shared purpose and belief in what they're doing. So I think trust, you're right, trust will be a component here. But then also from the workforce, from those of us that have jobs and so on, we have to be those kind of people that that don't take advantage maybe of that license that you have uh, working from home. You're not just sort of laying around or uh, walking your dog or something like I think, that. You, yeah, one of the... You, you both mentioned it there, Russ, you mentioned the humanist. I think that has been a, a really significant part of, of for churches, for businesses to see that it's important that people flourish, that well-being is good. Um, I, I suppose thinking a little bit about the future and even reflecting back on the past 20 months, what do you think the future looks like for church, for how we do mission, even how we work? As individuals, how do we work? What kind of things would you say to that? Well, I know it's interesting, and Ross and I, we've had conversations about this in the past, but you know, it's it's when when I'm asked, because sometimes I am invited into a conversation that's predictive, you know, that's trying to see what's next. Um, and sometimes, like I had a conversation with a group of leaders recently. And uh, they were just kind of coming on to some of the underground's thoughts and ideas. And they were like, whoa, this is blowing our mind. And they asked me, well, what do you think's next? And I basically said this whole new thing, this whole other thing. And they're like, well, we're just trying to, we're just trying to get through, you know, 1.0 and you're talking about 2.0. They were actually very discouraged <laughs> by the end of the conversation. But, um, but, but I, I, I think it's not I like you to discourage people not, or blow people's minds it just comes out of me but what i actually what i'm actually thinking more about is this this integration of business and 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 the work of mission and the work of the church and even trying to understand um 
the the discoveries that we can make in in commerce and in business and the 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 sort of access that we gain how how that can be used or leveraged for mission and and so the, the you know in, in in 10 seconds the the history of the theory of faith and work goes from you know originally just talking about this this concept of faith and work that you're a christian you have certain values you should bring them into your work that should that it should you should bear witness to the kingdom to this otherworldly set of values and the way that you work and the kind of work you do and so on and then that evolves into uh what what has been called business as mission that is to say you do business in such a way that 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 is leveraged for the kingdom for for the needs of other people for you know creating a more just world for for sharing the gospel whatever uh, but but really, in that sense, business as mission is mission is a bridge to the church. So so you, you use your business that can do some mission and then mission then leads people into the church. But the church is still this sort of remains this unchanged thing, this unintegrated entity into that whole conversation. And I actually think the next phase and the next kind of critical thinking for us is about uh, business as church. And to actually think about creating and starting businesses from the from the jump that are meant to house the church or plant churches or somehow uh, integrate a church or the church into what they do. And, and, and again, I think this goes hand in hand with microchurch technology, the idea that that anybody can plant a small church, that if you have a sense of calling, a niche that you step into, a, a demographic that you care about, a community, uh, a group of people that you're actually trying to, you're just trying to reach them, you're trying to love them, you're trying to create a church for them. And we begin to realize that the sustainability, all that stuff that that is that comes with a business. Now, again, I, I'm not saying there aren't pitfalls and all we'll have to figure that out as we go forward. But if but for me, the future of the church looks a lot like the future of business and startup businesses and the idea that businesses can be for benefit. This is not just this is not 1980 where where we think of all business as being profit motive driven. That's it. It's just about money. This is this is this is, you know, 2021 and actually most businesses now are being started with some sense of how can we do good for the world or it, it, it at least it's at least it's 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 feigned concern for the world if not sincere and so how so so thinking about starting a business is, isn't a, isn't uh, uh, self-centered or greed driven as it once was now actually you can think well actually i want to start a business that is sustainable that provides jobs but also does some kind of good in the world or provides some kind of product this is something that people want so how do we also as not just as missionaries but as innovators how do we think about okay we could do that and then churches can emerge from within those things and how then of course how do we give those things validity and say they they have a place in the in the ecosystem of the church and and the, the the sacramental life of the people of God in a community or whatever. It's not just th this is business as mission, but like these are this is these are church people or th this this thing that they're creating is a church or is church too. And then and then and then the converse of that, which is like okay, we have churches with church buildings and very traditional with with you know ministers and the whole thing, and they have buildings and some in some cases those buildings are disused or unused. Or, or underutilized, you know, can we 
put a put a you know, we're also could put a bakery in in one of those and could, could, can we can we turn half of the the footprint of that floor plan into a co-working environment which actually serves the community provides a critical need and brings us back into what it is that we sense our the people around us need to flourish so it's going back to like how do we create art or do something beautiful or be meaningful in our community as 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 not just as missionaries that have a message to give but as people that care about the welfare of the city in which we've been sent you know so i i think it's both those things like both creating like stepping in and creating businesses which have in a sense jesus's dna in it which i think in the time in which we live will be very very impactful very profound but then also taking our existing churches and 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 stepping into these spaces these needs these communal needs and and maybe being good at it being you know i, I just think if, and, and you know we've talked simon about co-working and, and you're trying to do that there in dublin and the work i'm trying to do here in in florida you know we see creating co-working spaces as a way to both serve the kingdom and serve nonprofits and serve churches and church planters but also just serve people uh, and do something that actually we're leading the way now. We're, we're the first to market, so to speak, for that for that um, that service. Yeah, thanks, Brian, for lots to to think about there. I think uh, Ross, you've talked a bit more about the thought a bit more about the the business and church and mission and what that looks like. I think just on the I suppose the other one the we the church have these resources very underutilized resources in in their buildings that are used maybe a minimum in an hour a week sometimes a little bit more but that is something we've been trying to do open up co-working spaces um around dublin and to offer spaces for people to work from in the hope that collaboration happens conversations happen um shared ideas happen the kingdom is built through those conversations so i think that's an exciting opportunity it's an interesting one because i think for those to happen or for the churches to open up and allow their buildings to be used for something like a co-working space or a bakery or a whatever attitude has to change about what that building is for who it's for is it a, a sacred building that we don't allow x y and z in it um there has to be a change in mindset to think creatively and imaginatively about that because you think about i don't know what it's like in the states brian but you look across the island of ireland there's some sort of church building in nearly every town and village across the island uh, a huge resource for the communities that they're in so there's certain conversations and mindset shifts need to happen to allow those spaces to be used differently um yeah i mean imagine that imagine if if all across ireland there was a network of of you know co-working environments that were created to help people who were in these new hybrid work environments where they're allowed to work from home but they still want to connect with other people. They still need those those social collisions. They still want to network. They still want to feel the energy of being around other people, working with other people. And in a way, co-working environments provide kind of this, you know, kind of lovely equilibrium of I can get focused work done because no one's going to be knocking on my door asking me this question or that question, but I can still be around other people that brings that sense of energy um collaboration and when i want to take a break i'm not alone you know i'm not just staring out of my garden um or looking at my dog or something like that which is the one of the downsides of working at home is those in-between 
moments where you need to take a mental break and there's no one there to talk to and uh and and, the, and there's a lack of connection um so wouldn't that be something if all across ireland if churches just said we're going to dedicate you know i don't know 25 percent of our floor plan to creating those environments and making them accessible to people and networking those together in such a way that man you could work from any town you know anywhere there's anywhere there's churches there's going to be one spot where people could work and um even and not even just for 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 missionaries or for church leaders or those kind of things but even, even considering opening up to the community at large it's just a place to 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 almost be cared for by the church to create that environment which we know that they need so look anytime that we're realizing the people around us are are hungering for something desiring something and that thing is a good thing shouldn't we be in that conversation you know and, and if we are like land rich if we do have lots of buildings you know and say what you want to about the the irish church you know there is there is it is still full of vibrant people with profoundly deep faith and a love for their neighborhoods and a love for the people around them and they do have some assets and this is one of the assets that we still hold and and why not think about using them that way i think it's really interesting yeah you brought that up i just was as you were speaking there um i remember like the government here are on this big kind of quest of getting all these hubs around villages and towns across ireland so connectedhubs.ie is a new network interesting of working spaces and at the moment i'm just reading this out there's an article in the irish times from the summer they have 66 existing hubs online and the government aims to have over 100 hubs by the end of 2021 so it's interesting that is a trend that's going on and um there it's just interesting looking at their website because they say come to belong uh come to focus and come to collaborate could easily put those three things under a church uh, front door couldn't you <laughs> so i think um i think i think i think we're onto something here and um and i think it just feeds back to a conversation right at the very beginning if one of the things we're discovering through the pandemic is empathy reconnected to our humanness core values of who we are as people and we as Christians believe they're rooted in we're created in the image of God so then what do a church's mission look like in terms of kind of seeing all that stuff kind of flourish and grow and if part of if part of the new thing that that God is doing in us is releasing buildings to to have functions outside Sunday mornings um to serve the community and not just to get people through the front door I think that's a question for you Brian I was going to ask you as you've embarked on this work that you're doing in the states i'm sure a lot of people will say yes we'll open the front door of our churches because it gets people in during the week with the objective of getting them there on a sunday morning um you know this kind of bait and switch type of idea um how would you answer that we're just there to serve the community in 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 that way you know i'll, I'll tell you i'll tell you a little story i was because i'm doing i'm also doing a bunch of work in terms of collaborating around intractable social causes and trying to get people working on that. I was talking to a guy who has some some experience doing a kind of national collaborative work around foster care and adoption. Our, our system here is, is strain, it strains um, to keep up. And 
he was part of their their approach when they come into a state when they come into a u.s state is they try to get a they try to get the governor of that state on board right away and i was like wow that's a that's a pretty ambitious approach you know you go straight for the top guy essentially um and he said oh yeah but it's he said it's easier and this blew my mind he said it's easier brian it's easier to get a meeting with a governor than it is to get a meeting with a mega church pastor so I thought he was kind of being tongue in cheek or something. I thought he was, you know, it's hyperbole or something. And, and he was like, no, it's very serious. So I pressed him on it. He said, no, no, it's really hard to get a Christian leader of a big church to care about kids in foster care. And it's, it's much easier actually to get the governor to care. Now, what I think is interesting about that is that, okay, if, if I'm the governor of a state, I'm very busy. I probably think I'm important, whatever. But I also know I have a responsibility for all the kids in my state, right? To feel that, that sense of responsibility and think, okay, if someone's calling me about that, I probably should try to make time for that. Whereas, whereas church leaders don't necessarily feel responsibility for the orphans in their town or in their geography or whatever. And I think that's fundamentally the problem. Ross, you know, that, that do we feel a sense of like, I'm supposed to make this church grow. That's what I've been hired to do. That's what I need to do. That's what everyone wants from me. Or do I feel a sense of responsibility to the welfare, to, to the, to the, to bearing witness to the kingdom in any way I can. And particularly for those in need or those who are hurting or something like that. Of course, that's my responsibility. I have to do that. I have to, I have to make time for that. I have to care about that. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's broadening of our, of our, our mandate, our remit as Christian leaders beyond just the care of this small group of people that attend your church or, or members of your church or something like that. So I think that's part of the shift that has to happen where we see Actually, that, that sort of parish mindset that, that everybody in this area is my concern, you know, and if I could, if I can use my building or my, my, my gifts or my resources or just my heart, my ear, whatever, for their betterment, I'm going to do it if I can, you know, with, within the limits of what I can. And so using our buildings, for example, is just one well, it's just one asset to be leveraged for that greater cause. Now, again, you know, I'm. I'm all about preaching Jesus, talking about Jesus. It's not just like do nice things for people. Like somewhere in there is though a demonstration that goes along with the proclamation. The demonstration, not just like I'm going to do nice things for you so that I can bring you to my church and do nice things for you so I can tell you about Jesus, but actually do do nice things for you because it's who Jesus is, because it's who I am, because that I've been reshaped by him to be someone that is altruistic. And, and so again, it's, it's not, it's not tactical, like, Hey, let's find the cool new method here or something like that. Um, let's, let's turn our, our churches into co-working spaces because, uh, that's, that's, that's the, you know, way to stay relevant or something like that. It's actually caring for people. Yeah. It's so easy for us to think of, to pick up on, I'll just follow that idea or I'll do that thing. But those, I think what you said there, Brian, is really significant and it, it, it's quite simple because so much of the time we think 
that not only our church buildings, but our church finances, the minister's time, the, the meetings are all about the people that are in the church and for the use of the, of the people in the church. There's no way we'd ever give over the sanctuary of our building to anyone other than the church. And it's a, a, I think those questions now more than ever, they're the questions we need to be thinking about and asking about. And how can I encourage and allow and help this community around me flourish? How can we provide building space, finances, energy, volunteers, whatever it is, to see this happen? And I think unless we ask those questions, just putting a co-working space in or a bakery or, or doing business as mission, doing any of those things, it just comes back to that crucial question of who's the church for and what's the church about, really? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a broadened vision, isn't it? We've reduced the mission to very much a transactional thing and we've reduced business to a very transactional thing where maybe we're stepping into a place where God's giving us uh, much of a wider yeah. vision of what his mission could look like and, and also business stepping into that and how and how these two things rather than co coexisting side by side can be just merged together to see more of God's kingdom come into places that are broken and not working in our in our society and isn't that where the church should be bringing light to darkness and all that stuff well and maybe maybe it's yeah maybe it's ironic but it, the truth is if you were to create if you were to turn your sanctuary into a co-working space the first people it would serve is your church I mean in other words the people that come there are also looking for solutions. Um, and if the government, if the Irish government is already trying a step ahead of that, trying to figure out a way to serve its constituency, um, those are your people too. Those are your members. Those are your attenders. And so something is obviously off the tracks a little bit if, if the government is thinking, ah, how do we do that? How do we serve them? And let's try to create these hubs around Ireland. And the church is like, ah, you know, we're reluctant to do that, to think like that, to, to, to step into that space. When really the government is trying to serve your people. So even if, even if you were just trying to serve your people, you still, there still could be an argument to make that you, 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 you were constantly reshaping and, and revisioning the use of our spaces, the, the use of our assets to best serve Irish people, right? whatever it is that they need and your your people included and of course there there is always these beautiful moments where the serving of the one can be also the serving of the other that actually to create a space for your own people but to make it open and available and useful um you know i don't know a simple a simple analogy would be you have you have a meal that you serve once a week or something and it's for the hungry and the truth is if your people are hungry they can come and eat but it's for anyone who's hungry and the meeting of that need, the feeding of people, it's not one or the other, is it? It's not, it's not pitting, you know, Christians against non-Christians or, you know, concern for your flock or shepherding your flock, which is obviously a pastoral concern, a deep pastoral concern. I have to take care of the people God has brought to me, but to actually think that in the caring for your flock, can you find ways to to, to be missionary, you know, to think also about those that don't have a shepherd to care for them, to provide for them, to meet a need that they clearly have. And work is just one of those, I'd say, emerging realities where we see people are in need. At some level, they're in need. 
Brian, just as we, um, I suppose, finish up, you obviously lived in Ireland for two years and you've been back in the States for the past year-ish. Um, any kind of words, thoughts, I suppose you like think about the future and having lived in Ireland, you, you saw some of what we're, where the church is at. Any words of just thinking about the future, are you hopeful about the future? Are you, how do you think about the church in Ireland, I suppose, specifically, not necessarily just the States? Well, I, I think in, in many ways, just coming back here, I realized that Ireland, that Irish people are maybe ahead of the curve on certain things. You know, I, I'd say Irish people were already thinking about wellness in the workplace. They already have better rhythms of life. That conversation was already happening. It's, it's been more of a shock to the, to the U.S. system probably and and people are scrambling to pivot into that but it probably makes more sense to an irish person that of course you want to be a, have a healthy work environment and of course you want to give people some flexibility um and so in that regard i guess i would say you know lead keep leading please lead uh please please lead the way and it might be easier for you guys to innovate as as church leaders and also as people that have a certain sensibility for the care and concern for the people that work for us and and even churches that have employees you know like how we run those are nonprofits christian nonprofits that that have employees i'd say you can really lead here and and probably already were to some degree uh leading um so i'm hopeful for it but as always with the Irish church, it's, 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 you know, can you take that, that, that beautiful, healthy, raw material and use it for something new, like allow yourself to step into innovation. Um, because I would, you know, of course we've talked about this before, but Americans are happy to jump into innovation, even though their character is maybe not there yet, or their, their, the raw material isn't as good, you know? Uh, and of course, Irish people, I would say you, you have these these sort of core values that would allow if you were to open some kind of business within your church, I just think you'd probably do it really well. I, I'd say, you know, in, instinctively how to how to keep Jesus as the center and how to really care for people and not make it about money and all those pitfalls. So um I hope that is a part of the future for the Irish church is, is these, these experiments in innovation and, and you're doing it, you know, Simon, don't you have, I mean, at this point, how many, maybe three co-working spaces you've opened within churches in Dublin, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to see that expand. Maybe, maybe some, maybe some, some church leaders that are listening, if you're interested in, in, being a part of that little network, like taking a room or two in your in your current church physical plant and saying, yeah, we, we, we would be willing to give that a shot or see if that could be a service to our town, um, to our people. You know, talk to Simon about that. I hope, I hope, I hope it's okay to say that. <laughs> but, you know, if we, I, I think adding that and creating a network of, of spaces is well within reach for you. Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah fits in the mission of praxis and it's the, it continues with that that sense of innovation so courage you know courage to make bold bold moves changes even and i think i think they provide yeah. a space yeah. for new enterprises you know a space if the you know if a new enterprise wanted to start up they don't have enough money for a space 
there's great opportunity there. Number two, they have a great opportunity to collaborate with other people. And we're trying to bring other skill sets, whether it's designers, web designers, you know, finance people into that space as well. So it's kind of creating, an, I suppose, an ecosystem to help people get some new projects off the ground. But you can also register those things at this connected hubs.ie. So imagine if our co-working spaces were registered on the connected hubs.ie page and it just opens up even more. So if you're listening... We're getting get in touch with Simon. Here, right? Let's do it. <laughs> 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 or get in touch with Ross. He's working for the Irish government. I am government. on a 10% commission. Look at Ross. Uh, we do like skateboard tracks. <laughs> just want to just advertise that for all our skateboard <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so, yeah, Simon Apraxis.ie. He'll sort you out. Praxis <laughs> movement.ie. Yeah. Look, the other thing is that I, I would say Irish people are particularly good at collaboration. So again, that's that raw material. Like you're open to it, you 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 you're willing to do it. There's there's not as much ego driven enterprise in Ireland. It's particularly in the mission frontier and the church side of things. So again, that's that's like, um, I don't know. It's like gold it's it's a rare commodity and you maybe you don't recognize just how beautiful and wonderful that is but use it you know so creating these places where collaboration can happen and actually starting to work together to create new enterprise maybe it's maybe it's two or three two or three entities coming together to start a little business which has a missional impetus or uh, outcome or even even this networking together to create little co-working hubs or whatever uh, that's the kind of stuff I just think you you can be the best at, and you also you should. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for uh, for uh, I suppose helping us think and uh, providing us with food for thought. And thanks for being part of the podcast. Maybe we should make it become an annual thing, Brian. We just get you on once a year. Once a year, once a year. we we could maybe do it once a year and <laughs> cut it up into three segments, and then you'd have them three times. You know. <laughs> Or we could just. So you only have to actually put up with me one time, but you can pretend yes, like it's three exactly different. three episodes in one. I did, I did or else me and Simon could come and do one live uh, in Clearwater, and a, a cold January see, morning. I, I keep uh, you know, something you very appealing about that. <laughs> can you leave? Are you guys actually today? Leave we are. So, we are from yeah. today. We're allowed to travel to the booking. states. Finally, yeah. after nearly two years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting. Anyway, thank you. You've been listening to Mission Disco, a podcast by Praxis Movement. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Praxis Movement. Subscribe, like, or download this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or online at praxismovement.ie.